Tonight, go to Matthew chapter 22, and I want to just say I'm delighted to be with you again tonight. It was, we had the privilege of being here last December 5th, a, week, a year ago, almost a year ago now. I was preaching in Ada, Oklahoma in the morning and had the evening uh, free, and uh, your pastor graciously allowed me to come and speak to you at that time, and it was such a blessing to be able to be here at that time as well. And of course, uh, always a blessing to have my sweet wife with me, and uh, this is my wife, Gail. We've been married 51 years this coming January 29th, and uh, if we make it to January 29th, it'll be 51. I think we're going to make it. We've kind of figured that by this time, let's just go ahead and stick it out. I mean, at this, at this point, I don't want to start over again and she doesn't either and plus we're extremely happy with each other and so uh, God has been very very good to us and we thank the Lord for all of his blessings your pastor is uh, one of the most dear uh, friends that I have I have I don't know of any man that I respect more than your pastor I really don't I pray for him every day and he's on my daily prayer list. I pray for him, for his wife, for his children. Pray for you, for your church. And uh, I, in fact, I, I put every staff member, every former staff member that I've ever had who is now pastoring is on that prayer list. And I pray for them every day and for their churches and for uh, God's blessings upon their family. And it's just amazing to me that after all of these years that uh, uh, I still have friends. I really, he really is. Your pastor, uh, pastor was with me for almost 16 years we were together. And God did some wonderful things at Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach. He really did. Just amazing things. Now, that's always been, I, I think, just a, a church that has had the special touch of God. And a lot of what he did was there was because of your pastor and uh, his uh, wisdom, and his guidance and direction, and his, uh, his uh, ability to be able to help me, to come alongside of me and together. It wasn't us or the other staff. It was God Amen. that worked. But, uh, but God uses people. And your pastor was a tremendous blessing to me. Now, I want to try to jump right in because we want to, well, a couple of reasons. First of all, I want to try to be finished about the same time that your pastor normally would be finished, which is, I think, 9.30, uh, someone said. <laughs> about 8 o'clock, 8.10, and something like that. There's a second reason, and that is I'm really old. And this is, I mean, let's just face it, it's, uh, it's past my bedtime. <clears throat> I mean, come on, man, I'm 72 years old. It's time to go home and get some sleep. And so, so let's jump into the Word of God tonight, and uh, I'll try not to fall asleep while I'm preaching, and you try to stay awake as well, and uh, let's jump into the Word of God. <clears throat> missions emphasis, we're in Matthew chapter 22 now. The missions emphasis, the missions conference, I truly believe is one of the most important, if not the most important times of the year, and on the, ch the calendar of the church. Whenever uh, I first went to Liberty Baptist Church in 1990, and the church had a lot of a lot of problems, and uh, we had a lot of financial problems. We were uh, we were bleeding money. I mean, we when I went there in 1990, they, the church that Brother Johnson and I served together at, they uh, told me they said we can't afford to pay you a salary. We can't afford a pastor. We uh, we can't keep our building. We're, we're barely keeping our, our our doors open. We're six months behind our building payments, and uh, we we were getting calls from the uh, from the mortgage company saying, look, you have to make your payments, or we're going to foreclose on your property, and uh, we. They were just in trouble. And I went there in September of 1990. In October of 1990, we had our first Faith Promise Missions Conference. And I introduced that uh, Faith Promise Missions to our church there. And uh, they, um, 
a lot of people didn't understand why we were doing that. I'd only been there for 30 days. And now we're going to have a missions conference when we're already financially in deep trouble already. And so some of my deacons came to me and said, look, pastor, it's not that, you know, we, we're not against missions. We just don't see how we can possibly have a missions program, a missions program in our church at this time. We can't afford to pay you. How can we afford to possibly take money and give it, out, give it away from our church and give it to somebody else? We can't do it right now. And I said, look, trust me, God will bless this. Now that was, uh, well, I was there for 25 years, been gone for seven. That was 32 years ago. 32 years. 32 years later, if you were to go back to Liberty Baptist Church today, where they're 20, they have $22 million worth of property and incredible buildings and, and facilities and amazing, amazing ministry. Over 450 students in the school now, Brother, Brother Eric. I think when, when I left, there were 100. When we left, there were 110. They've got 450 now. And um, just an, an amazing what God is doing there. If you were to go back there and you find, find some of the old timers, the few that were still there, that are still there, that were there 32 years ago. And if you were to ask them, hey, what happened? How did, you, how did this church go from what it was 32 years ago to what it is today? I guarantee you, some of the old-timers, Greg Park, I saw him a couple of weeks ago when I was there for their missions conference. Greg Park would say this to you, and others as well. They would say, you know, what happened in 1990 was this. We began supporting missionaries. We started going soul winning. We began to lead people to Christ around the corner, and also we began to emphasize around the world. And God just did some miraculous things and blessed us through those years. Now, God will bless the missions ministry. Uh, the heartbeat of God is missions. That's what God is all about. Missions emphasis one of the most important times of the year. The heartbeat of God, as I said, is missions, getting the gospel to a lost and dying world. It is what God is concerned, is concerned about. But there is a danger of the missions conference. The danger, I think, of the missions conference is this. We get the idea that this is what missions is all about. We get the idea that we're, look, we're having a conference, we're going to come together so that we can find out how much money we can raise. And that what this is all about is getting money. No, 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 it's not. It's not about raising money. It's about raising Christians. This is not about your wallet. This is about your heart. What we're going to be talking about the next couple of days is, is not that we want to encourage you to give more money. Although, look, we'll, we'll talk about money. We'll see what the Bible has to say about giving and about, about special offerings for missions, all of that. But it's important that we understand. And the reason I want to st start off tonight with asking this question, what is this thing all about, is so we don't get sidetracked into thinking that what it's about is a fundraiser. It's not that. If these next three days are successful, we will be more in love with Jesus and his work than ever before. What this is about is the heart, not about your wallet. It's about three commandments, which are given to us by Jesus. The great commandment, the great compassion, and the great commission. Let's look at them, if we could please, very quickly tonight. First of all, the great command. Look, if you would please, at Matthew chapter 20, uh, 22. Let's pick it up in verse 34. Verse 34 says, When the Pharisees heard that he had put the, the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, you always got to be careful about the lawyers. 
If you're a lawyer here tonight, we love you. <coughs> the lawyer asked him a question, tempting him, and said, Master, by the way, the, I don't want to sidetrack These are not the same kind of lawyers I'm joking about tonight. That's not, that's not what this is. These lawyers said to him, uh, tempting him, and said, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now look, you could, you could wrap up all the commandments of God on these two commandments, Jesus said. Love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do you understand, you understand tonight that it is possible to do everything that we do in the Christian life and not really love God like we should? If we can do it all on autopilot. You can do everything in your local church on autopilot. It's possible to teach Sunday school, sing in the choir, work in the children's ministry, preach from the pulpit, do everything that we do, and yet we're not really motivated by a love for God. You say, wait a minute, Pastor, I'm not sure that's right. How, how could that be? Open your Bible, put a marker here, we'll come back. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 2, if you will, please. The, the church of Ephesus, I start taking the book of Ephesians, but the church of Ephesus, Re Revelation chapter 2. In Revelation chapter 2, God is talking about the different churches. And here's what he says about the church of Ephesus. Under these things, of the, the, uh, under these things, under the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now, Jesus is, is giving an, an admonition about the church at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus started Acts chapter 16 by the apostle Paul. Now, <clears throat> it was a great church, incredible church. People got saved. I mean, God worked miracles there. These were dedicated people. One of the finest churches in the New Testament is the church at Ephesus. Now, some 30 years have gone by, maybe 40 years. They've gone 30, 40 years into their existence now. And look what the apostle uh, John, Jesus tells John to write in, in Revelation chapter 2. Here's what he said about Ephesus. Verse 2, I know thy works. So we're describing the church. I know thy works. This is the church that Paul starts. Now they're 30, 40 years into the, into the ministry. I know your works. I know your labor. I know your patience. I know you cannot bear them which are evil. I know that you have tried them which say that they are, are apostles and are not. I know that you, you, you have found them liars. You have borne. You have patience. You have, for my name's sake, you have labored. I mean, this is a good church. This is the kind of a church that you would say, if you were, you were you're leaving here for some reason, you got job transfer, and you went to the city of Ephesus. You're looking for a good, independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist church. And so you find the church of Ephesus. And you come inside, here's what you find. You find a church that is laboring. You find a church that is separated. You find a church that is doctrinally sound. All of these things are mentioned in verse 3. All of these things. That's what Ephesus was. You'd go into that church, and you'd go back, and you'd say, Hey, babe, I think we found our home. This is the right church. This is like being back where we were before. This is like being back at, at Cornerstone Baptist Church. This is the church. Separated, soul winning, faithful, laboring, busy church. Good church. There's only one small problem with this church. They've lost their love for Jesus. They're still laboring. They're still separated. They're still doctrinally sound. They're trying those which say they're apostles and are not. They found them liars. They're, 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 still, they're still doing everything they're supposed to do. 
Well, look, if you would please, at verse 4. Jesus said, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. You've left your first love. Wow. Wow. I'm saying to you tonight that if this missions conference is successful, is successful, when, when we wrap it up Sunday night, what's important to me is not just, and to your pastor, is not just how much money do we raise. It's that are God's people closer to Jesus than they were before we started? Are we more in love with Christ than ever before? God is not just after your money. He's after you. He wants your heart. There's not one word in the Bible, there's not one word in the Bible where God would ever indicate that he couldn't afford to do something. It's not there. We don't find in the scripture anywhere where God said, you know what, man, I'd, I'd, man, I'd like to do that. I just can't afford it right now. No. God doesn't need my money. He wants my heart. And that giving is an expression of my heart. A, a, a love for God. And then Jesus went on to say this. Go back to Revelation, or I'm sorry, to, uh, to Matthew chapter 22 for a moment, if you would, please. Notice that Jesus said this. When the man comes to him and says, what's the greatest commandment? He said, the greatest commandment, where everything has to start, the foundation of it all is, you shall love the Lord your God. With all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, Jesus, God wants everything. He wants us to love Him supremely. And then He said, when we do this, then here's the second commandment, verse 38. Uh, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, we already love ourselves. We already love ourselves. The Bible says, no man ever yet hated his own self. Um, we, 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 we love ourselves. We were born loving ourselves. You might think, well, you know, the whole world revolves around me. Well, when I say this to you, it does not. The world does not revolve around you. It revolves around me. <laughs> you see, on March, tw on March, uh, when did I get born? When was I born? March 24th. March 24th. <laughs> I was young, okay? I forget. March 24th, 1950. Springfield. No, not Springfield, Missouri. I heard say Springfield, Arkansas. Where was I born? You were young too. You were even younger than I was. Hot Springs. I'm having a Biden moment. I told you it's past my bedtime. Joe and I, anyway. I'm sorry, Pastor. March 24th, 1950. Hot Springs, Arkansas. A little baby was born. I'm an incredible little boy. And I'm telling you, for 72 years, I've been trying to, to forget what I think is the most incredible person in the world and realize that I'm nothing. <laughs> I, am, I am not, the world does not revolve around me. It revolves around God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbors yourself. Yeah, we have all this self-love stuff today. You already love yourself. What we want to do is love our neighbors, ourselves. When I pulled into the parking lot tonight, man, it was cold. Meeting pastor at the restaurant. I pulled in there. Man, it's cold. It's freezing. I've been in, I've been in California for 40 years. I've been in China for, 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 for a number of years. It's hot. I've been in, 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 for the last two years in Florida. It's, it's hot. Then I got to Oklahoma, and I remembered now why. 
why I don't live in Ada, Oklahoma anymore. <laughs> and I pulled into that parking lot, and there's cars everywhere. Man, it's cold, it's windy, it's freezing. I pulled up to the, to the, to the, to the uh, door and let my wife get out, said, you, you go, I'll go find a place to park. And so there was another car coming. I looked, there was one space left. You know what I did? I said, hurry, hurry, hurry. <laughs> you know why? As I pulled in that parking place, I thought to myself, you know what your problem is, Dwight? You don't love your neighbors yourself. <laughs> if you loved your neighbors yourself, you'd have gone on past that parking place. Hey, please take this space. No, I, I struggle with this, loving my neighbor as myself. You do too. But Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second commandment. If we really love God, we're going to love the people he loves. Who does he love? He loves the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loves the whole world. God loves people all over the world. He wants them to be saved. What's it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? When Jesus gave this illustration and this, this commandment, this story, another gospel tells us that a man went on to say, this lawyer went on to say, well, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And Jesus said, I'll tell you who your neighbor is. And then he told the story of the Good Samaritan. You remember that story? There's a man that's walking on the, on, uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was uh, attacked. The, he was robbed. He was beat up. He was left for dead. I mean, they just beat, beat the devil out of this guy, threw him into a ditch and let him die. And Jesus said there, was, there were two men that came by. First there was, a, there was a, a priest, and then there was a Levite. Now the priest came by, and the priest saw this man. He walked on the other side of the road, ignored him. The Levite came by, he looked at the man, ignored him. Now these, the priest and the Levite both knew their responsibility. They knew it was their responsibility to love their neighbors themselves. They knew it was their responsibility to care for this man, but they didn't care for him. They didn't take care of him. They were too busy. They had their own problems. They didn't take care of him. And then a Samaritan came by. The Samaritans were half-breed Jews. They were half-Jewish. They were half-Gentile. They, 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 were, they were considered, they were looked down upon by the Jewish people. They were called dogs. You remember in John chapter 4, Jesus went through Samaria, or he stopped there and talked to the woman at the well, and his disciples were, were I mean, she was even, they, they were surprised he talked to her. She was surprised they talked to her. Remember what she said? He said, to, he asked her for water, and she said, why are you talking to me? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. The Jewish people had nothing to do with Samaritans. So after all the prejudice, and all of the, the discrimination that Jewish people had placed upon the Samaritans, here's a Jewish man lay, laying in a ditch, and here's the Samaritan. This Samaritan has every right to say, hey, let him die. I guarantee you, I can't guarantee it, I doubt very seriously, I have to say, that if, if, it was, if the tables were turned, this was a Samaritan laying in the, in the ditch, and a Jewish man walks by, I don't think that Jewish person would have helped that Samaritan. But the Samaritan, he probably had never heard Jesus say this, but he understood, that he understood the principle of it. Jesus said, love your neighbors yourself. Jesus said in the, great, in, in, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told us to, that we are to love our enemies. We're to do good to those that despitefully use us. We're to pray for them. This Samaritan comes by, and he, and he, he takes 
he takes all the time to care for this Jewish man. Then he puts him on his own beast. He takes him to a hotel. He places him in that inn. Their, their, what they would have as a hotel, the way we'd call a hotel now. They put, he puts him in the inn and tells the innkeeper, I'll be back through here again in a, in a couple of days. If you, if you, here's some money. If he needs more, takes more to take care of him, let me know and I'll pay it. That was loving your neighbor. Doing for them what you would want somebody to do for you in that same situation. Now, what's this missions conference all about? By God's grace, if He will help us, we're going to learn to say, I want to do for others what I would want them to do for me if I was in that situation. If you were lost, if you were living in a place like Cambodia, like so many, many places around our world, where you would be born, you would live your entire life, you would die and you would go to hell, and nobody would ever come to your village and bring you the gospel. You wouldn't die and go to hell because you rejected Christ. You'd die and go to hell because you never, heard a you never even had a chance to say yes or no to Christ. What would you want us to do? You'd want somebody to bring you the gospel. For 25 years, for myself, for at least 16 years, for, for your pastor and his wife, we lived just a few minutes from Disneyland. Disneyland is a, it's a great place to go if you've got extra money that you don't need and you want to go waste your money at Disneyland. Disneyland is called the Magic Kingdom. Now, we understand that the Magic Kingdom is not real. It's a great place to go. Take a great place to take your kids, your grandkids. It's a wonderful place. But it's not real. It's, it's the Magic Kingdom. But in our world today, there are two kingdoms. They're real kingdoms. America is the Magic Kingdom. In the Magic Kingdom, kids are encouraged to dream about what they might become and then go chase their dreams. In the Magic Kingdom, people struggle with first world problems. Here in America, we struggle with first world problems. Problems like, where should we go for dinner? How should we best decorate our home? Where should we invest our excess money? Should we put it in the stock market? Should we put it in real estate? Should we, uh, what should we do with it? Should we manage our money ourselves? Should we hire a, hire a, 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 a money, money manager? Should we hire someone to help us to, with our money? Should we use a traditional IRA, Roth IRA, financial advisor? What kind of car should we drive? Should we, um, should we drive an SUV, a crossover, a sedan, truck? What should we drive? We deal with first world problems. And by the way, I'm not being critical of America. I love America. I'm just simply saying that these, this is what we deal with in the Magic Kingdom. This is the things, kind of things we discuss. Um, where should we go on vacation? Should we take a cruise? Should we, um, should, we, should we maybe take a staycation and stay here at home and, and instead of spending the money we would have spent on vacation, maybe we could take that money and remodel uh, the kitchen or, or, or add a, a, another bathroom or something? What should we do with our excess money? This is the magic kingdom. These are, these are first world problems that we deal with. But outside of our kingdom, there's another kingdom, the tragic kingdom. 
And in the tragic kingdom, by the way, that kingdom is much larger than our kingdom. Millions and millions and millions, three out of four people in the world live in that kingdom. In the tragic kingdom, billions of people in that kingdom. Over five billion. In the tragic kingdom, millions of people go to bed hungry each night. More than a billion people are slowly starving to death because of lack of food. In the tragic kingdom, most citizens have very little access to clean drinking water. They have very little in, in Cambodia. This, I mean, our, our brother could tell you so much, so many stories of what it's like over there. In the tragic kingdom, most people live on less than $2 a day. 75% of them live on less than $10 a day. I want to give you some statistics from MSN Money. According to MSN Money, if you made $15,000 last year, you're in the top 20% of the world's income earners. $15,000. If you made $25,000 last year, you're in the top 10% of the world's income earners. According to MSN Money, if you make $50,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of the income earners for the world. In the tragic kingdom, Christians are killed. Their children are taken as slaves. In the tragic kingdom, people sell their little girls to men who tell them they're going to be taken somewhere to receive an education, get a job, clean hotels for wealthy foreigners on vacation. But those girls aren't going to be taken to, earn, to, to learn, earn a job, learn a job. In the Himalayan mountains above Nepal, there are entire villages where there are very few little girls left in those villages. They've been sold. They've been taken to Kathmandu, and, and they're, they're told that they're going to be taken to Kathmandu, and they, the people come up into the villages, and they tell them, I want to I buy your little girl. Any girls are eight, eight and above, they buy them. You say, why would somebody sell their girl? Because you don't understand. They love their children as much as you love your children. It's not that they don't love their children. It's that they have absolutely no hope. They're Buddhist. There are no jobs. There's no, there's no way to get ahead. There's no education. There's no school. They live in this village, and, they, and, and they're, they're born in that village. They're going to live in that village. They're going to die in that village. And in their Buddhist, in their Buddhist thinking, one of the things that could, could help them to finally reach nirvana and just get out of this mess of a life is to help people. So you don't have to be reincarnated over and over again as a, as a, as a dog or as a cockroach or something. How can I help my children? Here's somebody that comes along and says, look, I'll give you some money for a little girl and we'll take her to Kathmandu and she's going to get an education. She's going to learn how to go to school. She's going to be able to learn how to, how to, how to clean houses. She's going to make money. She's going to have a life. I do it for her. But before she ever gets to Kathmandu, she's going to be met by people from India, people from Bangladesh, who buy her again and sell her into the sex trade. You say, I don't think you ought to talk about that in church. I don't either. I don't think you ought to talk about that in church. But the fact that we don't talk about it doesn't mean it's not happening. So we just, we just don't say anything about it. It's still happening. 
is still happening. Now thank God for the magic kingdom. But I really believe that God is looking at us and saying, um, did you get that part about loving your neighbors yourself? Those people beyond your kingdom are just as important to God as we are. What's this missions conference about? It's not just about raising some money. It's about getting my heart in tune with God to say, Lord, I need to push the reset button. I'm just kind of going through the motions. There was a time when I loved you more than I do now. I do love you, Lord, but I don't love you like I should. I'm telling you, a lot of times at Liberty, that's what I had to do. Probably people say, where's pastor? I don't know. I'll tell you where I was. <laughs> I had jumped in my car and driven over to, maybe over to, to down to the beach and just got, got alone with God and said, God, I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time here. I'm angry. I'm upset. I'm disappointed. I'm discouraged. God, I don't love you like I should. Would you help me to get my heart back in tune with you? Just get into the, and, and sometimes I just get away and just get into the Bible. And say, God, would you speak to me? I need to get back in tune with you. And then we need to love our neighbor as ourselves, to care about others. And then the third thing, the, the, if we get those two things straight, that leads automatically to the third thing, which is the Great Commission, which is where around the, around the, around the, the world and around, around the corner, getting the gospel to other people. You see, if I'm in love with Jesus... And I'm loving the people that he loves. I'm going to want to get the gospel to them. That's when the Great Commission comes into play. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus told his church, I want you to go into all the world. I want you to make disciples of every nation. I want you to teach them. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I want you to teach them to observe all things I've commanded you. Teach them to do it as well. How do we do that? Acts 1.8 You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And here's the formula. You shall be witnesses unto me. Both. Not, not either or. Both at the same time. Both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Right? Jerusalem is right here in Moore, Oklahoma. This is our Jerusalem. We're to do it both. Here at home. Start with your own family. Start with your neighbors. Start with the people you work with. We start with those that are around us. But we don't stop there. Then we expand that through our giving. We're able to, again, send out people to plant churches across Oklahoma, across America, and around the globe, the, the uttermost parts of the world. But it all has to come back to that first commandment. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So what's this missions conference all about? Well... It's not just about raising money. It's about you and I growing to the point where we've increased our love for Christ. And then we realize that we've got a responsibility to the people around us, to our neighbor, to care for them, not just to look at them and just move on the other side, but to do something about it. And when we do that, then the outflow of that is that we want to also be a blessing and get the gospel to those around us. The Great Commission, a love for the lost. 
So how do we start this? Why don't we begin this missions conference by either at the altar or in your seat right where we are, just talking to God a little bit about this. Maybe you need to push that reset button and say, Lord, I want to get back to loving you like I should. I love you, Lord. But I want, I, want to, I, want to, I want to be focused. I want to love you. You understand what I'm talking about. My wife and I have been married for almost 51 years. <laughs> I say something to my wife every day, Brother Johnson, that I'm sure you say to, to Julie. I'm, I, you, you said it to, to her this morning, I'm, I'm sure. Every day I say something to my wife, and I don't know your, your pastor, it's just nothing unique with me. Your pastor says this to his wife. Every day I say to her, You probably say that every day to church. <laughs> I say to her every day, Have I told you today that I love you and that I love our life? But recently, I got convicted about something. I say to her today, every day, Have I told you today that I love you? And I love our life. And, and, and one day it hit me, a few weeks ago, you know what you should be asking your wife? Not, Have I told you? Have I given you evidence? Have I shown you? Have I given to you to see? Well, I me, I love you. Not just, hey Lord, did I tell you today I love you? Lord, have I shown you today that I love you? I, want, I don't want to just say, I love you, Lord. I want to say, I want to be able to say, Lord, have I shown you today? I love you. I've given up that parking space. <laughs> You know why? Not for my neighbor necessarily, but for you, Lord. <laughs> I love you, and I want to love my neighbors myself. I, I, I've, tried to, I've tried to help to, to give a gospel track to somebody to help get the gospel to them. Maybe we just need to push the reset button tonight and say, Lord, during this conference, would you give me a heart stronger for you and more for my neighbor? And would you help me to get the gospel to those around to, with the Great Commission? Our Father, we thank you tonight for your love for us. We thank you for the opportunity and privilege to be able to be here with these dear people. Thank you, Father, for this church, and thank you for our pastor and his wife, and Lord, for the great things you're doing here at Cornerstone. I pray, Father, that you'd just help us now as we begin this missions conference. Right here in the first night, first service, just to push the reset button, pause and from our busy lives and say, Lord, help me to love you, and Lord, help me to love those that you love. And Father, help me to do what I can to get the gospel around the world.